This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. We are coming back to this passage like a hungry man goes back for seconds at a great meal. There's a great deal on my heart last week, and I didn't want to keep you all here till 3 in the afternoon preaching. I don't think you all wanted me to keep you here till 3 in the afternoon preaching. So this morning we return to the gospel account in Matthew of the resurrection of Jesus. Or I should say more accurately, the aftermath of the resurrection. So we deal with Mary Magdalene and another Mary who faithfully were at the tomb that day. So once again, Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Last week as we looked at this passage, we dealt with things on a very large cosmic scale. Using the idea that if you could summarize the meaning of the resurrection, grief turning to joy is not a bad place to start. Now that phrase does not explain or exposit the resurrection in its totality, but for a starting point, grief turned to joy is not a bad place. We saw last week how Jesus' resurrection reminds us that the injustices of this world will indeed be rectified. The things that are wrong will be fixed. The problems of this world will be solved in a new creation of which Jesus is the firstborn. We also looked at the fact that creation will indeed be recreated. That as we are saved, as we are redeemed, it is not that we have been saved and redeemed for a a place that is far away that, that will be like this heavenly place on clouds where we float around as disembodied spirits. To the contrary... Our final destination will be a recreated heaven and earth, a new heaven and a new earth where we will have resurrected bodies 
free from the presence of sin totally. Now, those are big concepts. In many ways, they are concepts that we cannot wrap our minds around totally. So the question comes then, okay, Pastor, I agree with those grand, large ideas. I believe they're true. But what about Monday morning? When I show up at work and the email box is full, the problems that I left there on Friday are still there, what do I do, Pastor? How does the resurrection impact that? How does this moment that changed cosmic history impact and bring about change in my life? And this morning, that's why I want us to look at, look at these two Marys a bit closer. Because there are things in this world, there is sin and temptation that will pull us away from remaining committed to Christ. Whether it is temptation to outright sin or temptation to let our faith fall into a rut of the same old, same old, so that the fire of our faith becomes but an ember, those temptations are real. So I want to begin at this place and remind you, believer, that loving God, loving Jesus, has a reward. Remember that when the days are long. Remember that when the temptation to turn your back on the faith is real. Remember that when it feels like your prayers are not being answered. Loving God and being faithful in that love has a reward. I want you to look at the starting point uh, this morning in Matthew 27. We didn't read this verse and that is why I direct your attention to it now. It's verse 61. Jesus is dead. A rich man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea requests that he get the body of Jesus. Pilate grants this request. So Joseph of Arimathea has the body removed from the cross and taken to a tomb. Joseph donated a tomb for Jesus. And Jesus is buried. Now look, if you will, at verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there. Sitting opposite the tomb. Imagine that scene for a moment. These two women who no doubt had walked with Jesus from Galilee, had watched as he was crucified, has, they've watched as he died, have now accompanied him to the grave. They're not in a hurry to leave. Their hearts are broken, their eyes filled with tears. And so what do they do? They sit and they wait. That's the longing of love. When you have buried someone you love and you linger at that gravesite and your heart is hurting, maybe thinking of the what ifs or the should haves. I wonder if these two women thought about those things. Why didn't Jesus show his power and remove himself from the cross? Did we let him know how much we loved him? Did he know that? 
And so these Marys that are there weeping no doubt would have stayed had not the sun begun to set on that Friday. And they had to leave because the Sabbath was beginning. And that's why it's amazing in verse 1. Where do they pick up? Toward dawn of the first day of the week. It doesn't even say that dawn, the sun had risen. Toward dawn. The sun is simply peeking over the horizon. And where are these two Marys? On their way back to the tomb. Now, Mark, Luke, and John record that they came carrying spices to embalm the body so that it wouldn't begin to stink after a while. But notice Matthew omits that detail. Now, remember, the Gospels are written as theological narratives, factual. Everything recorded in the Gospels happened. But each of the writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, draw attention to particular aspects of Jesus' life on earth. So it begs the question then, why does Matthew not include the spices? And I believe the reason is this. Matthew wants to highlight an event that took place prior to Jesus being arrested. An event recorded in Matthew 26. Where Jesus is reclining at dinner and a woman comes in and she's carrying this expensive vial of perfumes and spices. And she kneels at the feet of Jesus and breaks open this vase and allows the, the insides to pour out over his feet. And she begins to dry his feet with her hair. Scripture records that Judas is shocked at this. We could have spent that money on something. We could have fed the poor. And Jesus said, do not rebuke her. She has anointed my body for burial. So I think Matthew is highlighting that instance that Jesus' body had already been anointed with spices. And for us to remember that act of worship carried out by this woman who comes at his feet. A woman who loved Jesus, I believe, with the same type of love that is exemplified by Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Because their love for Jesus calls for them to act in a way that is full of risk and full of courage because they come. And they come to the tomb and guess what? what their love is rewarded look at what happens they experience the supernatural power of God this earthquake happens the stone is rolled away and they experience an angel that is seated on the tomb don't overlook that how many of you have visited the graveside of a loved one and seen an angel sitting on the tomb this does not happen every day they were, no doubt, had to be amazed and afraid. And this angel, this supernatural power of God, their love is rewarded. They see the supernatural working of God. But that's not the greatest reward. Notice what happens next. The angel speaks to them. Do not be afraid. What great encouragement. And I want you to notice something. Verse 4 describes the soldiers. The guards trembled. They're like dead men. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. To the soldiers, be afraid. <laughs> women, you don't have to be afraid. You've come in love. They're here because of obedience. You don't have to be afraid. You're known by God. You're loved by God. They need to be afraid. When we come in love, we can hear the voice of Jesus calming our fears. But that's not the greatest reward. The greatest reward these ladies received is found in verse 9 when Jesus met them and said greetings. Love's greatest reward is seeing the beloved face to face. 
There's nothing else you want at that moment. When there has been a separation, what do you long for? You love to see, you long to see your loved one. That is the greatest reward. Sometimes I think we get so distracted thinking about, well, what are the rewards in heaven? I tell you what, when we get to heaven, I'm going to have a mansion that's got 32 rooms and a gold-plated swimming pool. Woo! No, no, that ain't what it's about. I want the crown of righteousness. I'm going to get this crown of righteousness and I'm going to wear it. Well, that's all right. It's going to have to work hard to be as bright as my crown of life. Church, all those point to Jesus. Who's our life? Jesus. Who's our righteousness? Jesus. Those are simply ways of saying that in glory we behold and experience Jesus face to face. That's the greatest reward. That's all that you would long for. Think about it. When you've been separated from someone that you love and they show up at your house. Now think about it. Let me use grandparents because I'm a papaw now, twice over. When it comes time and you've not seen your grandkids for a while and they show up at your house at Christmas and they come in and they're carrying those wonderful gifts like a brand new foot massager that was just purchased from just as seen on TV. And they come in. Do you say, give me that gift, kid. Get on in there now. You know what you do? You say, put that down and come and give your papa a hug. I want to see you. Whether you brought something or not, I don't care. I want to see you. You're what it's about. So it is with us when we long and we love Jesus. That is indeed its greatest reward to see him face to face. That's what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. Now we see through a glass darkly. But then, then one day we will see face to face. And believer, if you have served faithfully and love Him, even with all the ups and downs of life, your faith will be rewarded at that time with seeing and knowing Him. My fear is that today we waver in our love. Now understand, we're not always on the mountaintop. We're not. You know why? We're not home yet. One day we will be. We'll be in a constant state of love that ever increases. But right now, we go through peaks and valleys. One, don't feel guilty for that. I want to tell you, I'm not always in preacher mode. There are days I wake up and I'm in a bad mood. I know it's a shock. There are days that I struggle. There are days that are hard. There are days where I wonder, Lord, are you hearing my prayers? That's the reality because we are not home yet. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. On those days when you're struggling and you're wondering, God, do you really love me? Is to simply come back. Take some moment, five, moment, five, five minutes if you can. And just remind yourself of the love of God in Jesus. Be honest with your doubts. Lord, I'm struggling right now. Help me to love you. Lord, I'm not sure what to do. And to come back and say, Lord, I need to be reminded of your love. And I promise you this, the Spirit of God will direct you back to the cross. Because it's in the cross and the resurrection we see proof of God's love. In the United States, the greatest medal that can be given to a member of the armed forces is the Medal of Honor. In Canada... 
It's the Victoria Cross. That's the highest award that can be given to a serviceman. The very first winner of the Victoria Cross was a World War II sergeant by the name Sergeant Major by the name of John Robert Osborne. He was awarded the Victoria Cross posthumously. See, he was leading his men, and they engaged in a battle with some German soldiers. And the, the fight was raging back and forth, and they were close. So close that the Germans kept hurling hand grenades into the area where Sergeant Major Osborne and his men were. The Sergeant Major would pick up the grenades and throw them back. Time after time, his men watched. As a grenade would hit, the Sergeant Major would run to it, grab it, and throw it. Until the time came when a gr grenade hit, and he was not able to get to it in time to pick it up and throw it. Sergeant Major realized this. That's why his men were shocked to see him stop and then throw his body on top of the grenade. Giving his life to save the life of the men serving under him. Now stories like that inspire me. But the reality is this is a man that was giving his life for soldiers that he loved, cared for, a band of brothers as it were. What makes the death of Jesus so amazing is that according to the Apostle Paul, he loved us and died for us while we were his enemies. Paul even says a good man will die for, for somebody that's righteous. But who will die for the unrighteous? Who will die for the enemy? Who will die for the one that has wronged them, that has spat upon their face, that has rebelled against them? Only God would through Jesus Christ. And thank God he did. For what else do we have to offer him but our sins? Do we bargain with God and say, love me, Lord, because look at all the talents I have to give you. What talents can we give to the God who created everything? Or dare we come with a sense of pride that says, Lord, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I do all right. I'm kind. I love. I say, bless your heart if I talk about somebody. So, Lord, I'm pretty good. What's our goodness compared to God? But yet he loves us anyway. So you come back to that love. Now, another barrier that keeps us from God's love, and this may be the greatest, is not just the daily routine of life, but it's our sins. Sin in the life of a believer is like a callus that builds up, that hardens our heart toward the love of God. So if we are to dwell in the love of God, we need to know that our sin has been dealt with. So the question is, what do we do? Can we atone for our own sins? And the answer is no. How do we do it? We can't. That's why the cross and the resurrection is glorious good news. Paul said that it, now that it is righteousness. Right standing with God. That's dealing with sin being removed, not credited against you. In other words, righteousness will be credited to your account who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So it's believing God sent Jesus who died. Jesus came willingly. And guess what? He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Get what he's saying there. Cross and resurrection go together. He died for our trespasses, raised for our justification, that you and I might be with him, barriers removed. That means even the guilt. You see, I know some who carry a burden of guilt for wrongs done. 
In their minds, they will say, I believe He's forgiven me. But in their hearts, they're still holding on to that failure. Hear clearly what Paul wrote in Romans 8.1. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that our sins are consequence free. There are consequences to actions. But the hope we have as believers is that we do not have to live in the guilt of sins committed because Jesus has atoned for them. And our hope is this, that he can take even the mistakes we make and turn them into something beautiful. That's the power of God. That he can take our mistakes and use them for his glory. When I was a student at Southwestern Seminary, I was taking a personal evangelism class. Now, this was back in the 90s, before we had apps and smartphones. We used dumb phones then. In fact, I remember my first cell phone. It came in a bag that hung over my shoulder. We were given an assignment. Make a tract, a gospel presentation, a tract that you could give to someone and make this. Now, I want you to understand, I have struggled with arts and crafts since I was five years old. I dread it. I put it off to the last night. Glue and scissors never work out good for me. And making this track proved the point. Because I made the ugliest gospel track. In fact, the pages didn't line up straight. Some of the pages were longer than the others. It was a mess. But you know what? It was done. So I turned it in. You know what? I got an A on that track. In fact, not only did I get an A... The teacher wrote on it, great idea making the pages uneven because it drew attention to certain pages. <laughs> Is that not what our God does though? Lord, I've made a mess of this. Help! me and God never says nope 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 you're on your own he is the gracious and good father that works even in our mistakes to bring glory and honor to his name that's why I want you to rest in his love to know that it is real because the more you rest in his love when that confusion comes about because of doubt you'll find calmness you know it's, it amazes me in verse 8 the women departed quickly from the tomb. How did they leave? With fear and great joy. Explain that to me. The closest I could come to understanding why, how fear and great joy could mingle together was going back to the birth of my first child, Sue Ellen, when we brought her home from the hospital. Fear and great joy. Lord, I've got this baby now. I'm so excited, but I don't know what to do. That's where the ladies were. Fear and great joy. But notice what allays their fears. Verse 9. Jesus met them. I don't know how far they ran. It says they took out running. They had enough time to pick up some steam. Maybe they ran 100 yards, maybe 200 yards. But at some point, they're running, they're running, they're running. Wait a minute, who's that coming toward us? Wait a minute. And then they hear a voice. Greetings. If you were to translate that into Southernese, it would have been howdy. Rejoice. I wonder how many times they had heard Jesus say that to them. But this is a personal greeting in the midst of their confusion and their fear where Jesus is saying, stop and hear me. 
Stop and let your fears be put to rest. I want you to understand today, if you find yourself where the women are, fear, joy somehow intermingled, to know that God is at work. Now you say, how can Jesus speak to me like he did to them? Jesus has ascended into the right hand of God. Where in his love, he's still making intercession. But Jesus has given you and I the gift of the Holy Spirit by which he indwells us. Do I believe Jesus still speaks to us? Absolutely. His Spirit dwells within us. We have His Word, and you'll find the Word and the Spirit go together to meet us at our point of need. Are we willing to listen? The truth is that it's often. We're like the women and we're running. But unlike them, we just don't know where we're running to. We're anxious and we're worried. And we don't know what to do. I've been reading a biography of Martin Luther King Jr. And it amazes me. I had no idea how often his life was physically threatened during that period of the civil rights movement. The Montgomery bus boycott had begun in 1955 and was several months going on when on January the 27th, King was pulled over for speeding in Montgomery. For speeding, he was arrested, taken to the Montgomery jail, fingerprinted, and put in a cell. A friend of his, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, made bond, and King was released. A few hours after getting home, the 25-year-old King gets a phone call. The phone call said to him these words, Leave now, or I will blow up your house. And I will kill you. King said that at that moment, he was done. He couldn't sleep. About midnight, he got up, made a cup of coffee, and he was sitting there. You ever had those midnights? Sleep is nowhere to be found, and your heart is so troubled, you don't know what to do. He said as he sat there at the kitchen table, he was thinking, and he said, you know what? Daddy can't help me now. He's 175 miles away in Atlanta. Mama can't do anything. He said his mind went to his little baby girl, just recently born. He thought about her smile. And he thought about how at a moment's notice she could be taken away from him. He thought about his wife in the room, bedroom, just down the hallway. How she could be taken from him and he could be taken from her. And he said at that moment, he was trying to figure out a way to step down from leading this without looking like a coward. He said he bowed his head, put his head, face in his hands, and he cried out unto God, help me. And he said at that moment he experienced something he never had experienced before. He said, now I, I grew up in church. I knew religion. 
I knew the words of the scripture. But he said at that moment everything that I knew in my head became real to me. Because in that moment of grief and weakness and hurt and fear. I heard the voice of Jesus say to me. Martin call me by name. Martin stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus he wrote saying fight on. He promised to never leave me to never forsake me and to never leave me on my own in church he has promised the same thing to us in your fear he said I'll never leave you in your hurt he said I will never leave you so keep looking to him know him call out to him at that midnight hour when your strength is weak and your mind is filled with anxiety know that the risen Lord is on your side be not afraid but trust him hear him call your name because sometimes it's the only time we'll listen to him when everything we've trusted has been taken away and you face a problem so big you can't solve it now, I, I don't want to paint a false picture here. These Marys were part of the group with Jesus. And I have no doubt that even after this, they experienced ups and downs. They went through Peter being arrested. They went through the persecution of the church. But I wonder how many times at those moments they went back to this time and said, I know he said to us, do not be afraid. See, sometimes in our walk, it may be two steps forward and one step back, but keep walking. Sometimes you may stumble, get back up by His power. And when you don't have the strength to get back up, ask Him for it. He will not leave you. Don't be discouraged in those moments of frailty. Over the last... Almost seven years now, it'll be seven years in November since Emma became sick. The Lord has taught me a great deal. He's taught me a great deal about my own weaknesses. How it's easy to preach dependency upon God, but how you live it when you really have to depend on God because there's nothing else. I've often remembered one of the things that the head neurologist at the University of Tennessee Medical Center said to us. He said, I don't know. What direction it'll go. This is unknown territory. That's how rare Emma's condition is. He said, but gauge whatever happens, not on a day-to-day -day basis. He said, if you look and gauge what's happening now as compared to where she was yesterday, he said, you may get discouraged. Instead, gauge it by where she was two months ago. Gauge it where she was six weeks ago. Step back for a moment and say, look where we are now. When you think big picture, you'll be amazed at what's happening. In that moment of failure and struggle and fear, remember where God has brought you from. Remember, yes, you may not yet be what you ought to be, but you're much more than you were. He is at work. Be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. Love for him will be rewarded. You'll see him face to face. Because the barriers have been removed by God himself. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? Gracious Lord, 
You know our hearts. You know our ups and downs, our struggles, our fears and our failures. And you love us anyway. And this morning, Father, I pray that through looking at this passage again, you would have stirred our hearts to remember that you are faithful, to remember that you are with us, to remember that the same God who brought you from the grave, Lord Jesus, is at work within us today. Father, I, I don't know the hearts of every person in here. You alone do. And I pray, Father, that you will meet us right now at our point of need. For that sister in Christ who is hurting this morning, I pray they will hear your voice saying, Greetings, loved one. I'm with you. For that brother in Christ who is afraid right now, maybe he's afraid of losing his job, maybe his, his marriage is struggling and he's afraid, I pray, Father, that you would speak to him right now and hear, he would hear your voice saying, Fear not. Father, to my brother or sister that's in their teenage years and they are being hit with so many, so many options, so many claims of truth, I pray, Father, that you would still their heart and they would know you and know your love that is truly an unconditional love. Grant this, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.